0: I uh, I grew up in a very secular Jewish home and the essence of the way my religion boiled down to the way we kept the holidays which could boil down to basically, hey, they tried to kill us, they failed, let's eat. <laughs> and that was the extent of my religious upbringing, but I was always, I always had this, I was a seeker, just seeking, and I remember, and I tell this story quite a bit, I also grew up very secular and very postmodern, and this whole idea that there is no truth as with the capital T. You have your truth, that's your truth. You have yours, that's yours. And there's no Archimedean point, there's no overarching point to judge because there is no overarching point. Everything kind of emanates from us as humans. And that's the way I was raised, that's the way I was educated, and that's how I believed. And I'll never forget, I was about 20 years old. I was at the University of Florida at Gainesville, and I was in a pizza parlor. And I'm eating a pizza, drinking a non alcoholic beverage, and I'm reading a philosopher And he said, I was 20 years old and my life changed in that pizza parlor. Because he said something to the effect of, in order to live the most perfect life upon the earth, you needed to find out the reason why you were here and then live your life accordingly. And for some reason, those words, and here's a phrase I learned from Burnell here at Wildwood. This sounds very Burnellish. It was almost like I had a prefrontal lobe lobotomy. And it went in and it wiped out all this relativism that I had been taught. Everything I had been taught, it got wiped out because it hit me. There was a pizza sitting on the table in front of me. Now, you could have had a hundred, you could have had a thousand different people with a thousand different views on how the pizza got there. They could have thought the god Marduk created the pizza. They could have thought aliens dropped it from a flying saucer. It evolved out of the ground. A thousand different people with a thousand different views, and maybe every view was wrong. Maybe nobody could know how the pizza got there. People might have started religions and died or killed for their belief in how the pizza got there. Maybe every last one of them was wrong. Maybe nobody could know. But the fact was, there was the pizza. Something had to explain it, whether anybody could ever know or not. And that explanation of the pizza, where it came from, why it was there, what its purpose was, That was the truth about the pizza. And at that moment, I just stepped back. I'll never forget this. I can still remember it, and my life changed. I was in that pizza, and I suddenly realized, hey, there's a world. I mean, I exist. There's a reality. There's a cosmos. There's something out there. In the same way, there's, there's the pizza here. There's a reality. And somewhere out there, there has to be an explanation. Where did this come from? Okay, where did this, you know, something had to explain it. And that explanation, whatever it was, that had to be the truth with a capital T. And I'm telling you, you might think, oh, it took you 20 years to come to that. Mickey Mouse could have told you that. But I'm telling you, the way I was raised and educated, everything worked against it. And I'll never forget walking out of that pizza parlor. Now, please understand, my realization that there had to be an explanation was totally separate thing from the, 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 the fact that whether I could know it or not, okay? The fact that I knew I couldn't be wrong. There's a world here, something had to explain it, okay? That I absolutely knew, how can I possibly be wrong on that? But that was a radically different thing, a completely different thing. To want to use the fancy word, that was an ontological question. But it was completely different from the epistemological question, whether I or anyone could ever know what that was. See the point, there had to be an explanation whether it was possible for me or any human being or anyone to ever know it, totally separate. But I'll never forget a 20 years old, 21 years old walking through this pizza parlor in Gainesville, Florida, walking through the streets and I can remember because I felt it so strongly, I felt the pain in my chest, I remember thinking, if it, because I suddenly realized, wow, truth had to exist. It was like, wow, I mean, that was just, that in and of itself was astonishing. And I remember thinking to myself, if it were humanly possible, because again, please, my realization that truth had to exist was, in a, was a completely different thing from the fact that. From the chance that maybe I could know it or not. One, the fact that I knew it had to exist did not mean that I could ever know what it was. Totally separate things. But I remember thinking to myself, if it were humanly possible, and I don't know why, I don't know where, well I think now I know where the Holy Spirit, but at that point I thought to myself, wow, I don't want to use the word sacred because that's too religious, but I felt this moral obligation. Because I thought, wow, truth had to exist. I felt like its I, I, I ought to know what it is. I ought to try to find it. I thought, if I could know what it was, I didn't care where. Where it led me, what it cost me, what I had to suffer, what I had to give up. I thought, if, if I could know it, I wanted to know it no matter what. And us. <laughs> I mean, of all the ways I could have gone, I went through, you know, I went through my Marxist phase for a while, and I, this guru and that girl. of all the different ways I could have gone, I ended up becoming a Seventh-day Adventist. Now, I'm going to, I've told this story a lot, I'm going to truncate it, because I want to get into the role that Wildwood had in my quest. So, I'm going to tell just a little bit of what happened, and then kind of jump ahead to how all this entered into the picture, because a very important role. I was, at that time of my life, early 20s, I was determined I was going to be a novelist or nothing. I had writers and editors and my family and... I had an uncle who was a well-known novelist, and when he died, there was a whole page on him in the New York Times, experimental fiction writer. So I had it in my blood, and I had started this novel my senior year at college, and before long, this book just consumed me. Nothing else mattered to me other than writing this novel. I mean, I I I graduated college. I wanted to get that out of the way. But all I wanted to do was work on this book. It dominated my life. It dominated my life more than I dominated the life of the characters in the book. I don't know if any of you have gotten into that, but it's like, after a while, the characters sort of took a life on their own. I was... As dedicated to this, and as devoted to this as you could be, I remember once I wrote to my uncle about, you know, how am I going to survive doing this? He said, if I knew how you could have a life and be a writer at the same time, I remember him saying, I'd bottle it and we'd both get rich, because you know, you're dominant. You spend years, you spend years on something. You might not publish it, you might not make any money, but I didn't care. I was gonna write this novel, and I poured myself into it. And I ended up traveling overseas, working on the novel overseas, and everywhere I went, all I wanted to do was eke out an existence just so I could write. You know, I was young, in my early 20s, I could live in a cardboard box. I didn't care. Really, at that age, you know, I could live. Now, if I go to a hotel and I don't have a remote control for the TV, I feel like they ought to double my per diem because it's a a rough, rough country to live in, or whatever the word is. The, The military, when the military, when they go on extra dangerous assignments. But I was early, very young, so I didn't care. My life was dominated by this book and then well i it's hard to get into it now but i had a bunch of amazing experiences all this was going on and i was still seeking asking wondering you know if there is a god even and i even had some occult experiences and this is kind of, gets kind of hairy, but I don't have the details now. I started to have some occult experiences, and, and it's called astral projections. And one of my friends says, Cliff, you're the only guy in the GC who's been in the astral plane. And, uh, and, uh, and I had these experiences that started to open me up. It started to open me up to the fact that maybe this cold, hard, narrow, because see, contrary to what they teach you, the scientific view of reality is an exceedingly narrow view of reality. It's very, very narrow. Everything comes down to uh, electrons and quarks and Bosons and fermions, it's a very narrow view of the world. And that's what I was raised on. And boy, a little trip or two in the occult, you, the devil works on you, trying to dupe you. you start, suddenly I started realizing, whoa, whoa, hey, there's more here than the sci- my, my fifth grade science teacher told me. And anyway those experience happened and I, and I look back now that the devil was looking kind of overplaying his hand on me in a last-ditch effort but anyway i had these occult experiences and then at one point i said god if you're there you've got to reveal yourself to me and again i don't have time to go into it now but i said all right god you got to give me a sign or something that you're you're there and right about that time I met somebody right after that, he had my same name. He lived in the same kibbutz in Israel that I had lived in, was in the same room that I had been in, I was gone already, was in the same bed that I had slept in, had the, some of the same books on the bookshelf that I had when I was there. I was a writer, he was a writer. I had a blonde Danish girlfriend named Tina. He had a blonde Danish girlfriend named Tina. Okay, so things happen that, like, whoa, whoa. You know, somebody said to me, Cliff, you're asking God for signs. What more do you want? He said, the Lord's calling you by name. But So I had these things happen to me that opened me up. That there was more out there, but nothing mattered. All I wanted to do was write my novel. Well, two and a half years went by, working on my novel. Nothing mattered. I was back in Gainesville, Florida, just eking out an existence, just eking out anything I could. I had some things opened up. Somebody had actually given me a Bible, and I I tried reading the Bible, but, I, you know, I'd read it. I, I couldn't get past the talking snake story. You know, it was just, you know, it just didn't click. Nothing changed. All that mattered to me was writing my novel. Two and a half years in it, I was 23 years old. I walked back to my room one evening to work on my novel and going better than it had ever gone, poured everything into it i figured i probably had two more years to work on it going better than it had ever gone i was just totally immersed i came back to my room and you know i gave worship at the gc about a week ago and i've been telling this story for 30 some years and the other morning was the first time i ever publicly brought up one little thing that I never told before, and it was only many years later did I realize how important this was. Again, I, didn't, I, I had some occult experiences, met my double. All I knew was that the narrow scientific worldview that I had been raised on wasn't enough. There was more to it than that. That was as far as I went. But I go back to my room to work on my novel, Little manual typewriter. I put my finger on the keys, but before I do it, don't and this is the part I've never told till last week at G C for some reason they wanted they wanted a worship. They wanted a worship on prayer. And I thought, tell this. For some reason, I don't know why. I close my eyes. And I didn't know who I was praying to. And i just uttered a prayer and that unleashed a power that to this day i don't understand i uttered that prayer and at that moment as real as anything that ever happened to me the presence of the lord jesus came to me in the room and he said cliff you have been playing with me long enough if i can't tell you how important that if is because free will if you want me tonight, burn the novel. simple as that in a split second. In, I mean that little prayer, I didn't know who I was praying, to. I didn't know what I was doing, but I as I said, for 30 this was 1979, I'd been telling the story then, and it was only just recently that I remembered I closed my eyes, this lit, and it's a lesson to me about the power of prayer. Now you tend to take it for granted sometimes, but it was the Lord came, that opened the door and the Lord said, if you want me tonight, burn the book. He showed me that book was my God and if I wanted him, I had to burn it. And, here, and anyway, I have this back and forth. God, please let me I'll write it all to your glory. If you want me, burn the book. Let me finish it. If you want me, burn the book. Can we discuss it later? If you want me, burn the book. But I'll tell you, The amazing thing, again, don't get me, I, I gotta be careful not to, I'll go off on some philosophical tangent for 20 minutes that bores everybody to tears, but I eat this stuff up about free will. I can't explain free will, I know, I know that night two things, I'm positive, I'm totally, I didn't have to do it, it was my choice, and the other thing... See, here's the weird thing, too. I was already starting to weave some of that cult stuff into my book. I didn't know where it was going to go, the spiritualism. I didn't know where I was going to go with it. But the point is, there were two things in my, and I look back now, oh my goodness, it makes so much sense. Free choice. But I realized that night, without knowing anything, if you would have told me then I was a sinner, I would have looked at you like you told me I came from Mars. I had no concept of being a sinner. Atonement, I didn't know anything that. But it was my choice. And the other point was, if I don't do this now, that's it. I'll never have another chance again. And if you think about it, I probably, what I do in Adventism, I probably would have been writing for the New Age or the cult or something like that, and you weren't going to get me out after that. But anyway, the bottom line was the Lord came. If you want me to have this whole long thing, but before the night was over, having no idea what I was getting into, not a concept of being a sinner, I knew nothing about. Christianity, or the little I knew I didn't like, I didn't like Christians. And it's funny, I didn't like Christians and I didn't like vegetarians. So how I wound up here, that's a whole other. But, uh, but the bottom line was, I burned the novel that night. And that was the night I became a born again believer. And never looked back, I, okay. So that's usually, usually this part of the story takes me an hour. And I end here, but I wanted to, and that's usually where I end, because I'm kind of burned out after all that, and that's the most interesting part. And I, I'm not, that's the most interesting thing I have to say. Anything else I preach is a lot more boring than my conversion story. But I burned the novel, I had no idea what I was gonna do. All I ever wanted to do was write. It's the only thing I had the slightest inclination for slight it would put any effort in i'm useless in anything else i had no interest in anything else i'm frankly i'm pretty useless for anything else now just no interest in it i just not disciplined in anything but i will write i will work at it so i don't know what was going to happen well anyway here's a whole thing that really gets hairy right about that time in fact this gets even more i was on my way over i was getting into the occult oh i'm on my way over to get This was a day or two before I burned the book. I'm on my way over to get a book on the occult to start studying, and I just happen to stop at a health food store, and I tell this guy what I'm into, and he warns me, and he gives me a great controversy, and later that day, I'm walking through the library, I got a great controversy in one hand, a book on the occult in the other, had no idea, but anyway, I burned the novel, well, this guy who owned the health food store was a Seventh-day Adventist, and I didn't know Adventists from anything. I mean, they were frankly, they were pretty weird, to be honest with you. That's how it appeared to me. Very, very strange. I mean, the the food, everything was soy this, soy that. I never, it was like, I was a guy that when college for dinner, I'd get a cut of beef and I would cook it just enough so if I stuck the knife in it, it didn't say moo. And that was, you know, the way I ate. Suddenly I'm around all this. But anyway, I started hanging with them, and we started to study. And then eventually, at one point, he said, Let's, you want to go plant? Because my life was totally, up. everything I did was totally uprooted. I had no idea where I was going to go, what I was going to do. Everything centered around the book, and it was gone. And we ended up, he said, you want to go plant trees for a while. Okay, a lot of new, the plant, the plant tree thing. So we were planting the trees. Well, I'm all busted up. i have an old busted up skydiver. And I stepped in a hole planting the trees, and I hurt my knee, and I couldn't work anymore. And he said to me, hey, I know a Jewish... I wasn't an Adventist then. I had no intention of joining the Adventist church. It was just very strange to me. But he said, look, I know a Jewish man who lives in a little town called Wildwood. You could come and stay with him for a while. So I ended up coming to Wildwood and living with, some of you know him, Sam Jacobson. Okay, it's Sam, and I stayed in his house, and I just, you know, I, had, I never wanted to become a vegetarian, but I didn't have any money at that point, point. and all she did was cook, vegetarian, and actually, it was actually pretty good. And I studied with Sam and all that, and I ended up becoming... When I went back to Gainesville a few months later, I ended up, said, joining the church, joining the Adventist church. Well, at that point then, I still didn't know what I was gonna do. And then at one point I decided, hey, maybe I wanna be a, a, a pastor. And I would already finished college, so let me go study to be a pastor, which would have been a joke. I'd be the worst pastor in the world. Okay? <laughs> I'd be the, I'm an ordained minister now, but trust me, you don't want me to be your pastor. But I didn't know at the time. So I this is 1980. And I go to Southern College in 1980. I'd already graduated school, so I didn't know. Well, you know, I always say my experience in Adventism is like this. This is an analogy I use. There's the stream going along, that's been going along for a long time. And I'm just some poor snook walking along, minding my own business, and boom, caught in the stream. And just (laughs) flipping me around, and it's taken me a long time to try to straighten out, because there was a whole lot of history, a whole lot of stuff going on. I mean, knew nothing about any of this. And I step into this quagmire, this was during the Ford thing, you know, and all that. And I joined the church right and all that. I mean, people were talking more about Desmond Ford than they were about Ellen White or Jesus in the beginning. And I didn't know any of this stuff. So the bottom line is I ended up, I go to Southern in the midst of this controversy. Okay, I'm brand new. I mean, I know nothing. You know, you think you know everything and you know nothing and I'm in this thing, and I'm there for one semester, and I'm getting pulled, and, and there was a whole bunch of stuff that they were talking about that, at the time, I had no clue. I had no clue what this stuff was, but it was an exceedingly controversial time, and there's all this stuff going on, and I was getting very discouraged. I thought, what is going on here, this stuff? Though the good thing about it is though this thing, though. I remember saying to myself, because you know this big thing about 1844 I went down I said to myself all right look if I can't get this out of the Bible and the Bible alone I'm out of here I'm out of here okay and that, the controversy caused it and I ended up instead of being in half my classes I remember going down to the library and just reading and studying and I thought wow Man, I really can't get this out of the Bible alone. And the stuff I learned, eventually I turned into a book a while back called 1844 Made Simple. But, but anyway, I'm there, and then this controversy's going on, and I don't know what to do. This isn't working. I'm not getting along with the teachers. And, uh, and it just, I'm getting pulled a bunch ways. So I don't know, one day some friends of ours said something, they're going to come out to Wildwood to hear Elder Frazee speak. And I thought, well, okay, let's go. And we heard Elder Frazee speak, and then afterwards, they introduced me to someone and said, "There's a young guy here. They said, he's really struggling at Southern, doesn't know what's going on, because I wanted a witness to the Jews. I wanted to work for the Jews. So we're standing right outside the building there, and I meet this very interesting man, they introduced me to him, and I, I said something what I wanted to do, and he says, why, we'll send you up to New York, because that's where I wanted to go. We'll send you to New York as a lieutenant. And, and well, Anyway, the bottom line, it was Burnell. Well, I end up going back to Southern, and again, it was very complicated there, and I know there were good people there and all that, but the bottom line was, it wasn't working and I quit, and I came over here. I was clueless. I mean, Adventism was strange enough for me, okay? Adventism was different enough for me as a whole, okay? And I came here, and I'm the Baldwin's, and I ended up living at the Baldwin's house. And I ended up staying there almost two years, 20 months. I lived with them off campus where we lived. And here was the funny thing, too, because I... I mean, I was clueless about health. I didn't know anything about this. And you live in Burnell's home, in Burnell and Marjorie. And then I remember, I used people can't believe it now, but I used to give health lectures. I used to give lectures on the brain over in the hospital. Well, how can you not live with Burnell and Marjorie, not a about about stomach stuff. And I mean, I learned an immense amount. And you know, in many ways, it was so important for me. Because I came totally out of a worldly lifestyle. Totally out of it. And I got, I, I, I'm telling you, I learned things that now I'm going to be 61 next month. Oh, my goodness. 61, I can't believe. Don't get me... Don't get me off on that. But I remember, I, I learned to this day, I remember everything. I remember what to do. I know how to do it. Now, having the gumption to do it, you know, is another. I remember years ago, I was at my doctor. I don't go anymore. I don't get checkups or anything. I decided, forget it. Forget it. whatever. I'm going to live the best I can, and whatever gets me, gets me, because they freak you out, you know. But I remember at one point, some blood Number was up real high. Well, you know, gonna put me on medication forever. I mean, I'll take anything for a little while, but forever I'd have to be dying before I'm gonna take something. And I learned all this from Burnell. All this from Burnell. I mean, Burnell's got me so anti-drug, you know, it's, uh, it's uh, some. well, I'm not gonna get But anyway, my doctor, I said, look, doc, I'll be back in six months. Because I knew what to do, I just didn't feel like doing it. Well, when that number was up, and I came back and he goes, How'd you do that? How'd you do that? Well, it was easy. You know, I just followed what we learned in the spirit of prophecy. I followed what we learned here. But here was, in many ways, one of the most important things for me, too. When I burned that novel that night, I realized I might not ever write again. I was okay. I had to die to it. I had to die to my old self. I mean, truly. You know, it was funny because I would tell that story, and only about after four years did I realize one day, it took four years that I could tell the story about burning the book without pain, okay? Okay. That's how, for, for years, it just pained me. That's how much that meant to me. And now now I look back at it as a joke, but at the time. But anyway, I burned the book. I had no idea what I was going to do. I came here. You know. First, I was going to be a pastor. That was a joke. Then I came here. I was going to train to be medical missionary and go up and work in New York. Well, I'm not to- totally sure how great of a medical missionary I would have been. At one point, I worked for a while in the print shop with Neil Meitner. Maybe some of you remember Neil, and he was going to train me to be a printer. Ha, <laughs> <laughs> ha! I mean, I'd be better—I'd be a better pastor, I think, than I'd be a printer. Okay. And I remember at one point he told Dr. Baldwin, he "said This guy'll never be a printer. This guy'll never be." So I wasn't sure what was going to happen to me. What was I going to do? Well. Here's where, living at the Baldwin's, I remember what happened. We had even this, It's a funny little story, and I have to start winding down. I was working with Earl Qualls in the hydrotherapy thing. And at one point, Earl was going to let me just work there, and the Baldwin's said, nope, you're not ready for it yet. Burnell, he wouldn't let me, and we got in a tussle over it. I got really angry over it because I wanted to do it. I mean, I'd much rather work in there than actually have to, you know, work outside in the garden or something. I don't like gardens or that kind of stuff. I would have much preferred being in there. And we had a bit of a tension there. And then I think at one point, to make a little peace, he said, listen, we're sending health and healing up to New York. There were a lot of Jews up in New York. Why don't you write an article for us? On, you know, for, for the Jews in New York. Ooh, right? Okay. And I wrote the first thing that I had ever published since I burned my novel was an article in Health and Healing And the funny thing, it was on the benefits of vegetarianism. (laughs) And and so when I tell the story, I say, people, I burned that book. I realized I might not ever write again. I died to it. I told this particularly to young people. I died to it. I was gone. And then in the Lord's time, here at Wildwood, with, with Burnell and Marjorie, with Health and Healing... You know, he had me write this article that they published, and you know, I haven't stopped writing since then. And the Lord gave it back. So when I tell the story, especially for young people, it's like, I, I mean, I was dead to it. If it's something that can be to the glory of God, that the Lord could do some good with it, he'll give it back in its time. And then what happened was I was writing for Health and Healing. And then I remember, and then just, I joked with Dr. Zeno, who's now at the GC. I said, you know, you're the first guy come to the GC straight from Wildwood since me 32 years ago. And we kind of laughed. And I joked too, I don't know how much they like it there. A while back I saw Ted and the head of the health department. I said, ah, Ted, I'm glad you got somebody from Wildwood to finally help straighten out the GC health department. (laughs) They laugh. Actually, the funny thing about it was, was the GC Health Department had requested Dr. Zeno to come, but I still like having fun razzing him on that. But but anyway, what happened was there was a meeting. They have the Medical Dental Convention in Gatlinburg or something. This was back in 82 or 82 And apparently, Dr. Burnell was there, and Charles Bradford, who was the NAD president then, came by, and Burnell showed him health and healing. And said, Well, he said, Here, we got a Jewish guy. Okay, I got the five minute signal. All right. And uh, he showed him health and healing and said, I have a Jewish guy here writing for him. And he said, well, we need an editor for the Israelite, which was a little publication that they had for the Jews. And that was the contact. And then, you know, they had a back and forth and all that. And then somebody from the GC came down and interviewed me. And then the next thing I know, I went from Wildwood. I had a little intermission on the way at the Van Center in New York. Went to the GC and I've been there since 84, since 84, and just writing and editing and whatever. I been mean, I know it's hard to believe I'm one of the old timers there. I really am, I'm one of the, I've been there longer than almost all the leadership, everything, and, uh, but I, you know, what can I say? The Lord, it was funny. I guess here's the bottom line too. When I first got here, I remember right in the beginning, this was hard. Okay? I mean, when I was 17 years old, I was wandering around Europe by myself, okay? And next thing I know, I found myself here in this environment a little more restrictive. And I remember at one point, after a couple weeks, I said to Burnell, Dr. Burnell, I feel like I'm being choked. And he says, pray your way through it, brother. That Burnell, pray your way through it. I prayed my way through it. I knew the Lord it wanted me to be here. I just knew it. And then I prayed my way through it and then when the time came, it was 20 months later. Time came. That's how long it took to kind of whip me into shape and so forth. And uh, but it really truly it had I mean truly my life had been changed by my experience here and definitely for the better you know nothing's perfect everything everything's got its issues but I look back truly the Lord's hand was in bringing me here Amen. and I have no doubt my life I remember right before I left I said to Elder Frizee and I meant it at the time I said Elder Frizee Wildwood was one of the best things that ever happened to me and Elder Frazier said well thank the Lord he says Thank the Lord, son. Thank the Lord, son. You know, very careful. Thank the Lord, you know, he, and he was always like that, and I always appreciated that about Elder Frazee. So anyway, as I said, it's a privilege to, to be back here. I wouldn't want to miss it, and I know that God has used Wildwood and in a lot of ways that he hasn't used other places, and I guess 75 years ago, they never thought we'd be here, but we're here. And so we need to do what we've got to do while we're here. So anyway, anyway, let's pray. Let me just close with prayer. Okay. Father, again, I just thank you as I think back on the way you've led my life. And you took one person, one person, and you saw my desire and the way that you've led. And I'm just so thankful for that. And I know that what you've done for me you're willing to do for anybody else who's open and i just so thankful for the experience i've had here and for things i learned and the people i've met and i'm thankful for the work that they do and i just pray that we will be faithful to the tasks at hand because lord we have been here too long we've been here way way too long we want to go home Help us to be what you need us to be so we can. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.